0: and I just want to say our thanks for the invitation this weekend. It's been a very refreshing weekend for us just to be in your midst and to share with you and to sense the presence of the Lord here and a sleep in a nice bed at the Marriott. That's awesome. Thank you. So you are John Paul's daughter. God bless you, man. Um, I, met, I met your dad in 1985 in Kansas City. Oh, spiritual dad. Okay. All right, well, I met John Paul in 1985 in Kansas City when we had an amazing encounter there, and I was actually the first vineyard pastor to have John Paul and Bob Jones come to our church, and uh, we loved the prophets before they were popular, and we loved them after they were popular, and and so uh, (laughs) how many of you know those things go in cycles, too, sometimes? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word again. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you are saying to us. I pray, Father, for the anointing of your spirit to teach your word this morning, that that you would instruct us in righteousness, that you would instruct us in how to speak to one another in in life-giving ways and that you would strengthen your church and strengthen your bride in this city. And We bless you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. You know, there's such a, a spirit of revelation here. It's, it's kind of daunting to sit in a worship time because the Lord starts speaking all kinds of things, and I'm not sure where to go. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to stick with my notes. But, you know, one of the things that's so potent about understanding our, our place as the bride of Christ is that we actually stand in, in in two different roles in our relationship with the Lord and with his people. Um, three of the main stories that talk about <clears throat> intimacy with God as our father and also as our bridegroom king are uh, the Song of Solomon, of course, and then the book of Esther, and also the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. and And God has given us those Two primary windows into his heart, that of a father's relationship with his children and the relationship of a bride uh, to her bridegroom. And in those uh, three stories, uh, the the story of Esther, the Song of Solomon, and the uh, story of the prodigal son, we see two pictures of our role as the people of God. Initially, we see the picture of the Son coming into relationship with the Father. In Luke 15, He's restored to the Father's presence. The Father embraces Him. And in our, in our personal relationship with God, we stand in that unconditionally accepted love and embrace of the Father that has no shame attached to it. We come running to him with the stench of the pigsty still on us, and he doesn't even notice. He just welcomes us and embraces and restores us and sets us in relationship to himself as sons and daughters. What a gracious message. In the Song of Solomon, we stand as the Shulamite before the king. Drawing from his heart, drinking from his presence. In the book of Esther, same kind of thing. We're, we're in preparation, in that preparation process to be uh, prepared, to be made ready for the, the pleasure of the king. And we find our place in that story, in, in coming into the, the, the boldness and the authority of bridal intimacy, interceding in the presence of the king to such a degree such and such a place where he looks at us and says, I have to answer your prayers now. You're so pleasing to me. You've won my heart. That, that line in, in Song of Solomon chapter uh, 5 where, where he says, uh, or chapter 6 where he says, Turn your eyes away from me. You've overcome me. I have to answer your prayers now. You've been victorious in this journey, and, and uh, you've won my heart. And it's awesome to have a relationship with a God that longs to be defeated. He longs to be defeated by a bride, by a son that has been found worthy, that has set his mind and his heart, her mind and heart in agreement with the will of heaven. And to find a a people on the earth whose hearts and minds agree with the will of heaven. And the Lord says, I'll come and rest there. And, And when God comes and rests, it's not because he's weary. It's because he's found a place where his will can be done with no resistance. That's what it means when God's at rest. His will can be done with no resistance in us. And so in our, in our personal relationship with the Lord, we stand in that intimate, direct flow. But we also stand in another relationship, and that's with one another in the body of Christ. And in that place, we stand as the daughters of Jerusalem in the Song of Solomon. We stand as those seven handmaidens in the book of Esther that were specifically chosen to prepare Esther for the pleasure of the king. In the story of the prodigal son, we stand as the servants in the house. Has it ever occurred to you that it was the servants in the father's house that knew the father's heart? They were the ones that organized the party. The older brother with a religious spirit, he was too angry. He was, he was in the far country of his own mind, the far country of his own bitterness. But the servants knew the father's heart and therefore could receive the son even as the father did. And so our role in relationship with one another is as those handmaidens, those servants of the Father that see one another through the Father's eyes, are under uh, the direction of the Father to receive one another, even as the Father does. And our role with one another is to prepare one another for the pleasure of the King. And so I want to speak to us today today, in that place of being handmaidens and servants of the Father as we um, consider what it is to speak the truth to one another, to speak in such a way that the power of God can enter one another, that our speech would be filled with grace and seasoned with salt so that we might be prepared for his pleasure through the ministry of one another. Does that make sense? As we were worshiping this morning, I was reminded of a C.S. Lewis quote. Thank goodness for the AT&T. It worked for me. And uh, I found this quote. This is from C.S. Lewis. In his uh, book, The Weight of Glory, he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be, that of, uh, must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. I want you to look around. Look at the people that are just around you this morning. There are no mere mortals here. There are sons and daughters of the king who will live forever in in an unimaginable glory. And the Father looks down in this little room today, and he sees, what, a couple of hundred people who he is preparing for unspeakable glory. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who also said that one of the great dangers that will be Confronting the church at the end of the age will be the temptation to see one another in our glory and be tempted to fall down and worship. Because the Lord intends to have a a bride in perfection before he comes. We will be tempted, even as the, uh, the people in the New Testament, when they saw the signs and wonders that Paul and Silas did, they will be tempted to run out into the street and call us gods. And so, uh, as we share the word this morning, I want to uh, exhort you to put a heavenly watch on your tongue. You know, we live in a culture today where um, freedom of speech has come to mean that there's no restraint on anything anyone says. The only restraint that anyone can have is the restraint of Christian faith. We're really the only ones in our culture that, that can't say what we think or can't articulate what we believe under, uh, under the fear of you know, offending someone. But uh, there is a, an instruction in the Word of God that I believe gives us uh, a heavenly kind of boundary to our speech, and that is uh, the instruction to, to relate to one another in the fear of the Lord. Not not just in solemnity, I, I think you know it's awesome when we can get together and party and play and, and be relaxed and feel at home and all those kinds of things. But it's, it's in that kind of context that C.S. Lewis was talking about that is, that is rooted in, first of all, taking one another very seriously. That we are the sons and daughters of God. And that when we uh, deal with one another, we're dealing with people that Almighty God calls very precious to Him. And that, that as we speak, as we learn to speak, and as we learn to receive from one another, the Lord wants us to, to have that, that filter on our words and on both the words we speak and on the words that we receive so that we are speaking words that come from Him and receiving words that come from Him. And able to discern between the two And to be able to say, you know what? Anything that comes uh, from a voice other than the Father, I'm not going to listen to it. Even if it seems to to be positive somehow. In uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, it says this A man, and this is on your notes, you can follow along if you want to. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, perhaps you're like me. We've, we've uh, heard the first half of verse 21 many times, death and life are in the power of the tongue. But I've never really given much consideration to the second half of that verse where it says, those who love it will eat its fruit. A few weeks ago, Marie and I were um, ministering to a, a woman who was in our congregation and uh, this is a dear woman. She's a dear friend of ours. She's been part of our fellowship for a long time, recently moved out of town. And, um, but she's one of those characters in the body of Christ that has just seemed to struggle incessantly with the realities of life you know, broken, broken personal background, difficult family kind of situation, came to the Lord late in life, loves Jesus with all of her heart, but just seems, have you run into people like that? Or maybe sometimes you feel like you're like that, where it just kind of seems like everything breaks, you know? And, uh, and we were ministering to her, her and her, her body has been sick, and, and circumstances have been bad, finances have been bad. And as we were praying and ministering to her all of a sudden this verse came into my heart. And, uh, and 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 I was just meditating on it as we were ministering and just thinking, "Lord, what are you saying here?" And and all of a sudden the second half of that verse became clear that says, "Those who love it will eat its fruit." And the Lord began to connect the dots. You ever been on that in that kind of situation where you're kind of online in a live ministry situation, the Lord just starts downloading things, and, and you're saying, okay, I'm getting a lot of raw material right here, and I'm not even sure how to connect the dots. Come, Holy Spirit, help me right now. And, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord began to connect the dots, and I began to see that the reason there was such... Uh, Disease in her spirit was that her soul was connected to all kinds of messages that were coming from horizontal sources instead of from the heart of the Father. And God has created human beings to be those who speak his word after him, And so I want to take us through a journey today that will help us to understand how important it is to cultivate the ability in our relationships with one another, and even in our relationships with ourselves, to hear the word of the Lord, speak that over ourselves and over one another, and only learn how to receive that which comes from the Father's heart so that we might indeed enter into the life of the kingdom that we love to sing about and and celebrate when we come together. Is that good? All right, let's go into it. Paragraph A, all of creation came into the being through the spoken word of God. A few days ago, the Lord was speaking to Marie, and she was meditating on on the word, and the Lord started talking to her about meditation. And he reminded her that the Hebrew definition of meditation means to speak the Word. It's to take the Word of God and mutter it. How many of you know you mutter during the day? Do you, you mutter during the day? You're driving down the road, and the guy next to you, and you talk about things. You just There's all kinds of self-talk that's going on all the time. You're having conversations with yourself. If you take time to turn the radio off or whatever you're listening to, and, and there's just self-talk. That's meditation. And the things that we meditate on are the things that we become. And life uh, happens according to what we speak with our mouths. And so uh, he, he, this comes right straight from the Father. The Spirit of God was brooding over the chaos of the uncreated earth, but, but the Spirit of God by Himself uh, had, did not have the power to create until the Father spoke. And we have this dynamic interaction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father conceives the thing, the Spirit broods over the thing, the Son speaks the word, and creation happens. You have this magnificent interaction of the Trinity in the creation of all things. God said, let there be light. We know from the New Testament, it was through the Son who is the word that those things were spoken. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord, full of majesty. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it was through Him that all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. The spoken Word of God. Look at this verse in Hebrews 1, paragraph B. God establishes and sustains all life by the power of His Word. God has spoken to us by His Son who is upholding all things by the word of his power. Beloved, that's a stunning verse to mutter. (laughs) Meditate on that one. Jesus is sustaining his enemies today because all things are sustained by the power of the voice of the Son speaking to the Father. And he sustains even his enemies' life in the hope that they will repent and turn to him because he's patient gracious. God's authority to speak creatively then was given to man. Here's the key part. That authority was given to man as part of his inheritance. Genesis 2, whatever Adam called each living thing, that that was its name. This is a stunning verse. God creates the whole thing, creates all the animals, but he doesn't call them anything. And he takes the pinnacle of creation, man, and, and gives him... The, the vehicle of speech brings all the animals in front of Adam and says, You name them, and what you name them, I will call them. That's staggering. We were listening to uh, the One Thing conference and heard Reinhard Bonnke's message. How many of you heard Reinhard speak at the One Thing conference? A few of you. Go back on the archives and listen to that powerful stuff. Do you know who Reinhard Bonnke is? He's an evangelist, been in Africa for the last 50 years. 79 million people have come to Christ through his ministry. He kept record of their names. He's got a database of 79 million names because the Lord spoke to him 50 years ago out of the book of Chronicles and said, names are important to me. Keep their names. They're my children. I value them. (laughs) Wow. Book of Chronicles. Amazing. And uh, Reinhard Bonnke's moved to the United States now. I think he lives here, doesn't he? Doesn't he live in the Dallas area, Florida? The Lord told him to move to America because he wanted to do in America what he did in Africa. Listen to that message. It's powerful. But here was the phrase that, that he quoted that, uh, that he spoke that just impacted me so hard. He said, God spoke to him and said, Reinhard, listen to me. My word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. My word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. In other words, God has given authority to his children to speak his word with the same kind of creative power that he himself speaks it with. Now, that just takes our whole inheritance and blows it up, right? And and so what he's... uh, Insisting upon in this time is that we develop speech patterns that are according to his purposes and his will and his word. I believe, I believe this very seriously, that one of the reasons we don't see a great outpouring of signs and wonders in our culture is that we've not yet learned how to govern our speech. We've not learned yet how to speak to one another out of the Father's heart. And there's still bitterness and cursing that comes out of our mouths. And he says, you can't have it both ways. You can't have life and death come out of the same fountain. I won't permit it. It's not because he's angry. It's because he says, if I give authority on your speech and you still have bitterness to it, when you get mad at someone, they'll die. <clears throat> I remember some years ago, as was part of the Vineyard Movement and... and uh, um, it was during the time that Paul Cain became part of, of what we were doing in the vineyard in the late 80s. And, and uh, um, there had been some words that were being spoken by some other Christian leaders against John Wimber in the vineyard. And the Lord spoke to Paul Cain and told him to go to one of these denominational leaders and confront him about the words that he was speaking. And so he did that. He came back and and uh, reported to John, and John said, well, what did the Lord tell you to tell him? And Paul said, I, I can't speak it. And John said, well, why not? He said, because if I speak it, he'll die. And John just kind of took a step backward and said, oh. You know, we, we come to that kind of understanding that there's, if, if we want to see miraculous power come out of our mouths, there has to be a, a governance. There has to be a willingness to move away from the, the culture that just lets every thought blow out, regardless of whether it's positive, negative, up or down, sideways, whatever. That, that somehow freedom of speech means whatever we think, we can just blurt. We can put it on Twitter, or we can put it on Facebook, and we can just let go. Beloved, our whole culture's moving that way, and the Lord wants a counterculture move that says, I, we are the people of God. We are those who listen to the voice of the Father because in the voice of the Father, there's life. In the voice of the Father, there's power. In the word of the Father, there is the ability to raise the dead. And he wants this thing cultivated in our uh, experience. Ecclesiastes 8 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. Romans 8, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which which we preach. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 10 there. Now, I'm not advocating a kind of a word of faith thing that says, whatever we speak, we can have. Because that's been uh, distorted into a self-centered sort of... Uh, uh, personal aggrandizement thing, you know, building my own little kingdom thing. I'm talking about listening to the voice of the Father and speaking what He says. I'm not just talking about getting together in a little group and agreeing on something and hounding heaven until we get it. That's not the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement is listening to the voice of the Father, and then you come together with one or two others, and and we're hearing the same thing, and there's agreement between heaven and earth, and we can begin to declare that then with effectiveness and power to it. Good point two there on the bottom of page one, the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge. The source of authority and power for man's speech was to be the tree of life not the tree of knowledge. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. When we were ministering to this lady I was telling you about, it was one of the things that the Lord just kind of dropped in my mind from kind of left field. And, and, and he said, This has to do with the tree of, the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge. And 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 all of a sudden it occurred to me, the tree of knowledge has good stuff in it. See, it wasn't just the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the, the good that comes from the tree of knowledge has no life in it. Let me say that again. The good that comes from the tree of knowledge has no life in it. Because eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge brings death to us. Paul said it to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. See, the good that comes from the tree of knowledge, it can be positive, but it's really just flattery. It's like spiritual junk food. It not only is devoid of life, it's actually poisonous. And and, and so many of us have cultivated. It's part of the fundamental flaw of humankind. It got got started in the garden when Adam and Eve ate that fruit. They took their eyes off the Father. They turned their ears from his voice, looked to a sideways source that came from the tree of knowledge because it had good attached to it. It had destiny. See, Satan didn't tempt Adam and Eve with evil. He tempted them with their destiny. He was talking to them about their destiny. You shall have authority, you shall have power, you shall have wisdom, and you shall be like God. Beloved, those are God's promises to us. Every one of the things that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve were part of their destiny in God. Right? The evil was trying to get that destiny from a sideways source, from the wrong tree, instead of from the word of the Father. Jesus responded to the same temptations. See, Satan came to Jesus to tempt him with his destiny. Is this making sense? And and, and Jesus' response was, yes, the Father is going to give me all those things, but man shall not eat by bread alone but by every word. Man shall not live by that which comes from the natural tree. Man shall only live by the word of God. And so the Father's destiny in the Father's way, in the Father's timing, that's where life is. And and so uh, our, our friend, like every one of the rest of us, had at some point turned her gaze to impressions, to information that were coming from sideways glances and taking her identity and taking her meaning and her her self-awareness from the good and the bad stuff that other people were saying. And here's what the Lord showed me about that situation, and it wasn't only about her, it's about us. If you love that, you'll eat the fruit of it. How many of you love it when people come and tell you how nice you look or tell you how good a job you did? Don't you just love that? You say, ooh. But you see, to the degree that you eat that fruit... To the degree that you love that kind of word, you will eat the fruit of it. And so the, the key to that being life-giving is is that even that good thing, even that compliment, even that flattery, is it coming from the heart of the Father, or is it just junk food? Because if you love that compliment, you will be devastated by the criticism Because it comes from the same tree. Is that making sense? See, if we tune our ears to the sideways word, we eat the fruit of it and it brings death, whether it seems positive in the moment or whether it seems negative. And if we love it, we will eat its fruit. And the fruit is not life giving. The fruit of spiritual death because we become addicted to those things and we find ourselves uh, altering our persona, altering our behavior in order to get flattery that is not coming from the Father's heart. Scripture calls it the fear of man instead of the fear of the Lord. There's no wisdom in the fear of man. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, right? By wisdom was the earth created. By wisdom, the power of life is released into the hearts of one another and into our own hearts. And so all of these things tie together. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you begin to die. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, you'll know the source by its fruit, the fruit that it produces. When, when we find ourselves addicted to opinions, then we, find we can measure that. by As soon as someone comes with a critical word, we find ourselves de- devastated by it. And we want to run and hide, and we want to do all kinds of things to, to not put ourselves in that kind of place anymore. And, and we become protective instead of having the kind of openness that we were singing about earlier this morning, where we can come as we are, where we can just you know, relax in the presence of the Father. What's required in order to live in that kind of freedom is to have the confidence that we're among a group of people who have that servant mentality who are here not only to stand as the bride before the king and the son before the father, but who are here as maidservants and manservants. Come here in the fear of the Lord to speak the word of the Lord to one another in the power of the Spirit so that we can prepare one another for the pleasure of the king. So that's our whole goal with each other, to make you look good to Jesus, Right? Now, if we come before one another in the fear of the Lord in that kind of way, how many of you know that's going to change our relational quality in the house of God, right? If, if you and I can come into the body of Christ and there's a, there's a culture that is cultivated and there's a an atmosphere that's being developed here, and, and, and beloved, I tell you, this place is growing in that. This is a sweet house, I love this. And I'm not just saying it because I like John and Tracy. I mean, we've experienced that here. And we, we were commenting to one another during the worship time. Man, there's an atmosphere of sweetness and receptivity here and in the, in the house of the, of the Father here. That's awesome. But what kind of confidence does that release in your heart if you know you're coming among a group of people who are not going to come at you with opinion? See, opinion is out of the tree of knowledge. It's that religious spirit, opinion and judgment. Bob Jones used to say, just show up on time and be empty-headed. Don't have any opinions, right? I used to laugh at him because he, he would talk about church board meetings. He said, those are board meetings, man. It's the meeting of the board. I'm as bored as anyone, he'd say. He said, those are Budweiser meetings. Said, Budweiser meetings? He said, yeah, just a bunch of buds getting wiser. Coming with their opinions. Coming with judgments and opinions. It's a recipe for disaster, right? What, what, what the Lord wants in his house, in the Father's house, is, is a group of servants who are becoming sons and daughters. Who stand before him in the confidence, in the boldness of the veil that's been torn. Hebrews 4 says, come with boldness into the presence of God. That doesn't mean brashness and here I am, bless God, take notice. That's not what that word means. That word means come in the confidence that you can appear before him just like you are and be absolutely transparent. That line in the song, what, what was that line? I, there are, you don't have to keep your secrets because I already know them. That, that boldness that we can be open before the Lord who has embraced us and accepted us. And as we, as we stand among a group of servants with that same heart and that same attitude, how many of you know the servants that approached the son to dress him with the clothing didn't dare comment on how he smelled? Because they had the fear of the Lord in them. They had the, the opinion of the Father. Not the opinion of the older brother. See, And it's in that kind of atmosphere that that we can grow up into these things. The source of life, the Word of God. In Him, Jesus, the God-man, He always speaks life. He is our life. In Him was life. That life was the light of men. Top of page 2, Simon spoke to Jesus. How many of you know? That doesn't mean that you don't sometimes say hard things or, or, or difficult things. John chapter 6, it's about where Jesus was talking about his life being a sacrifice and his body and blood being real food and real drink. It was a mysterious saying. And when he spoke that, even though it was life-giving, because he said, my body and my blood are real food and real drink. If you want to live, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody went, what? 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 And a bunch of his disciples left. And Jesus didn't back off from a controversial statement in order to keep a crowd. Maybe he heard his disciples muttering, you know, what is he? Gonna, what, that's kind of a weird statement. Everybody's leaving. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, So are you guys going too? And Peter's kind of stuck. He, he you know, you almost get the impression, I'd like kind of like to, kind of like to go away. But where can we go? Where else shall we go? Only you have words of eternal life. See, only you speak the things from the Father that give life to my soul. I gotta hang out with you. The tree of life, that's to be the resource that we speak to one another from even as Jesus speaks to us. Look at Ephesians 4, paragraph 2 there. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your, out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. See there's a, there's a scripture in Psalm 45, verse 7 that says he he loves or that 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 45 verse 2 that grace is poured upon the lips of the Messiah. And so what that means is that his word has empowerment to it. That when Jesus speaks, it's more than just information. There's actually power that comes when Jesus speaks. That's why when your your speech is aligned with what God is thinking and saying, there's actually power that's attached to it. And it's the power to change. It's the power to grow. It's the power to be healed. The power to be formed in His his image. And so He says, "Here's, here's what I want you to do. Watch your speech. Put a guard on your mouth in these days. Because we're to edify one another. We're to build up. We're to speak in such a way that our speech is seasoned with salt and imparting grace and power. The, the, the seasoned with salt part. That's a covenant commitment. He's talking, he's referring there to a the covenant of salt. It was a, a covenant that that purifies and builds and flavors the people of God. One of the things I believe the Lord is going to restore in our time is is the ability to have committed relationships within the family of God. Relationships that aren't disrupted by opinion or aren't disrupted by convenience. One of the enemy's main strategies in our day is to just get people uh, twisted around by opinions and judgment and then have no compunction about just taking off and going somewhere else. Now, I'm not talking about clinging to people. You've got to have open hands. We talked about this the other day. Let, let God take you where, where he leads you. And, and there's, there's a rightness to that. But there's also a rightness to the other side of the thing. It ought to be hard for you to leave this place. If God starts speaking to you about going somewhere else, beloved, don't just leave. Come and process that. Do it in the right way and leave with, an imbless- with a blessing that imparts grace to you and what you're going to do in the future. And if you've gotten offended, then repent and come and confess that and get it fixed before you go. So that you can go with a blessing. Because if you don't do that, beloved, whatever offended you here, you'll find their cousin in the next place. Because God will probe you to find out if you can be offended. Right? How many of you know that? God will find your place of offense, and it's not the devil doing it. It's God doing that. He may use the devil, but he will find that place of offense in your heart until you deal with it. And if you think it's just tied to this house or some other house, no, no, it's tied to you. Still like me? I really care about that, so tell me now. (laughs) I need a little tree of knowledge right now. (laughs) Repent. Repent. Dust and ashes. All right. Grace, the divine influence upon the heart. That's what we're to speak, words from the Father's heart. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual uh, songs, always giving thanks in your heart, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's the atmosphere of the tree of life. Speaking to one another out of the Father's heart. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. That requires that listening ear. Again, just a reminder. Paragraph 3 there. The forbidden tree of knowledge contains both good and evil. When we speak from the resource of knowledge, what seems good actually results in death because there's no grace in it. Look at paragraph one under letter B there. Man's fall into death came when he chose to eat of the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life. Then Adam to Adam, God said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from that tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. See, God never intended man to work for his food. Do you, you ever put these two things together, that, that judgment that is spoken in Genesis 3 where God says, all right, because of the sin that you committed, now you're going to have to work to extract the food from the ground. The theologians call that the execration of blessing. To execrate means to remove a blessing from something. Now contrast that with Jesus in that encounter with the disciples where 5,000 men showed up and brought their families. There's 20,000 people sitting on a hillside. One kid brought a lunch. Everybody else wasn't thinking. (laughs) And the disciples come to Jesus and say, shall we send them away? And Jesus says, no, feed them. And I go, ha, with with what? That that would take a year's wages to feed this group of people. He says, good, what do you have? And I said, well, there's one, one little boy here that's got, you know, five little biscuits and a couple of sardines. What do you want to do? Jesus said, good, bring it here. And he lifted it up to the Father and did what? Gave thanks and blessed it. He consecrated. To execrate means to remove the blessing. To consecrate means to restore a blessing. And then he broke it apart and gave it to the disciples. And what happened to the fish in the disciples' hands? It spontaneously multiplied to meet the need. Miracle or normal? Normal. That's the way God created it to happen. A pure son who only listens to the Father's word, who does nothing but what the Father's doing, speaks the Father's blessing, and creation responds with spontaneous generation of provision. Unbelievable. But you see, it's not unbelievable. It's normal. We're trying to get back to ground zero. We're not trying to be supernatural. We're trying to get back to natural. We've been in prison. We sang it. You've been in lockdown. He holds a key. And he's put the key in your mouth. That was good. Somebody tweeted that. That was good. <laughs> Listening and agreeing with what the Father's voice says. Psalm 119, man, meditate on Psalm 119, 176 verses about the Word of God. That whole psalm, it's a work of art, it's an acrostic poem that celebrates the power and the efficiency of the Word of God. Let me just read a couple of verses from Psalm 119. Verse 97, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Beloved, if we understood the power of the spoken word, that we take the things of God, sow them into our hearts and minds, mutter them, meditate upon them until the thing that naturally comes out in any kind of given situation is the word of the Lord, then we'll begin to know what it is to live in the power of the kingdom. Because it's what He's given us. It's how He's given us to rule by His Word which He has spoken to us. Life sustained only to the degree that we speak in agreement with the Father's Word. Listen to this. John 12, 50. Jesus is speaking. He says, I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak... Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, now put that together. He says, I know something. I know that the Father's command is life, everlasting life, (laughs) kingdom life. Therefore, based on that understanding and that knowledge, Jesus is so convinced of this thing that he can say, whatever I speak, I speak according to his word and according to his wisdom. John 8, 58, I don't say anything except what my father says. And so Jesus constrains himself. It's almost like that image in in the Aladdin cartoon movie. You remember that? Uh, Where the genie comes out and he says, little tiny living space. (laughs) Global intergalactic power. See, our little tiny living space is to be constrained to what the father is saying. How many of you know there's a constraint there? There's freedom to speak, but the freedom he gives us is to constrain ourselves to what he is saying so that the boundary on the effect of what we say is intergalactic. You can speak your opinion, but then your boundary is your mind. And the fruit of it is death. Or you can constrain yourself to the opinion of God and your boundary is the mind of God. Now, what he's done in in the Gospels, he's given us the normal human being in Jesus and then he's sowed among us all kinds of these wacko people like Heidi Baker and... Bill Johnson and some of these other kinds of folks that just actually are learning to live that way. And they're not afraid to walk into any kind of situation and say, well, when I enter the room, Jesus comes in because they've cultivated this kind of thing. And we say, well, we want their power. Well, you can have their power, but you have to embrace their constraint. And um, until we're willing to do so, I believe the Lord's going to constrain his power. But that's why he's bringing words like this, I believe. The mouth of the righteous, Psalm 37. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. His tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart and none of his steps shall slide. How many of you like that promise? None of your steps will slide. That's a good word. But the, 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 the fruit of that is based on the root system of the mouth of God speaks rice. wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. What's justice? Just that the bad guys get kicked out? No, justice is not just about punishing the bad guys. Justice is the process of bringing all things into alignment with the will of God. When Jesus heals a man, he's bringing justice to that situation. He saw that woman all bent over in in the synagogue and said, it's not right that a daughter of Abraham should be constrained by an evil one like that. I don't care if it's the Sabbath or not. Stand up. My father speaks good on his day. Here's what happened. Our friend, Mary Grace, this thing started connecting in her heart. And and all of a sudden, she she looked at me and she said, I've been double-minded. And and, James 1 comes into my mind. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who loves to give wisdom. He gives it without limit, gives it generously, just like salt, you know, salt without limit, wisdom without limit. But you can't be double-minded when you ask. So who's the double-minded person? The person who listens to the tree of life and tries to pull from the tree of knowledge. And we get confused. And so if we're addicted to the tree of knowledge and we're eating that fruit, beloved, we can't eat the fruit of the tree of life. We can't receive the tree of life because it's a double-minded thing and the double-minded man gets how much from God? Nothing. Nothing. Why because we're trying to pull from two sources how many of you have promises for God from God that you know have come from him but you can't get them answered I would suggest that you consider what I'm saying this morning what what tongue are you listening to what source uh Is giving rise to the words that you're chewing on. Because whatever tongue you love, you'll eat the fruit of that tongue. Matthew 12. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Woohoo! Yesterday I made a statement. Jesus is always good, but sometimes he's not nice. That's one of those good statements that doesn't sound very nice sometimes. You know, and, and I, I'm all excited about the revelation that's come that just says, you know, Jesus did everything we need and, and, and we come into his presence free. But, beloved, we, we need to come into his presence in the fear of the Lord in, in, a, in a right kind of way. Where we realize that there's a mandate that comes on us. He, he says, I, I, I welcome you into my presence, but the point of being in my presence is to be Transformed into the image of my son so that you think like he does and that you begin to speak like he does so that your words give life to one another because I'm going to hold you accountable for how you've dressed my bride. How you treat my son when he comes in smelling bad. So, kind of a summary. Point three there at the bottom of three or middle of three. Our perceptions of reality, including our self-perceptions, are invariably formed by information we receive through the words and actions of others. If the words we receive are not aligned with the tree of life, God's perspective, they will bring death to us. So whatever words we love, those things will be the source of nourishment for our souls. Let me read this verse again. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the key, what's the father saying concerning you? What is the father's opinion about you and the person sitting next to you and your child and your spouse and and your neighbor? What is the father's opinion? And, And he says, I've given you such an invitation. Come into my presence. I'll give you the secrets of my heart. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. I'll tell you who they are. I'll tell you how I've designed them. I'll tell you the secret key. There are things, husbands, there are things about your wife that he won't tell anybody but you to unlock her heart. Moms and dads, there are things that that he won't tell anybody but you about your kids. And when you speak those things from the Father's heart, you'll ignite the heart of that little one, and they will never leave the path according to the design that he's made. So, we learn how to love the words from the Father's heart. We sang this song this morning. Scoot over, Mary. I'm coming in. What did she do? She sat at his feet to what? Hear his word. And Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen the one necessary thing. Beloved, that's a powerful statement. Jesus says there's one necessary thing. Mary chose it. What did she choose? Sit at his feet and hear his word. She wasn't singing a song and worshiping. I mean, it is worship. She was listening. And Jesus calls it the one necessary thing. (laughs) He doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about missions. He doesn't talk about evangelism. Because all those things are included in the first thing that he says. Here is the one thing necessary. Sit at my feet and listen to me. Because life comes out of my word to you. And if that becomes your resource, you will be a life giver. Yeah, Mary Grace got healed. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 4. This is the testimony of Jesus. Prophetic word about Jesus. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. We stand in first and foremost in that bridal posture. John the Baptist, I've heard the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, my joy is full. We stand in that bridal position as the bride, as the son. We say, Father, speak. Your servant is listening. Jesus, speak. Your bride is attending. Mary's first response to the angel was, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. I'm here to receive your word, speak to me. And then we have something by which we can serve and dress the body of Christ for the pleasure of the king. Let's all stand. I want to read. Are you all familiar with the Father's love letter? You heard about that? I want to read it over you. Here's the Father's opinion. It's printed in your notes so you can take it home and look up these scriptures. These things all arise right out of the Word of God. Some of you bought a copy of that little book called The Curse that that Marie and I wrote. I don't know if we've got any left, but we can get more to you. I've only got about 5,000 of them at home, so (laughs) let us know. Be glad to distribute them. but there's an appendix in the back that is full of scripture concerning what the Father says over you and over one another. Live in that. Live in these words. Take them in. Eat them. Eat the scroll of this message, of this word from the Father, and then have that resource to speak over others. Just go ahead and close your eyes. Get, get receptive. Get, assume the posture. Get receptive to the voice of the Father right now. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, for I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. And I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want your soul to know that very well. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I've been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you're my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I'm the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. For you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things that you can't even imagine. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me. And I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I'm able to do more for you than you can possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. And one day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I'll take away all the pain you've suffered on this earth. I'm your Father. And I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He's the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I'm for you, not against you, and to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home, and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been Father. I will always be Father. The question is will you live as my child? I'm waiting for you. Love, your dad. Almighty God. Isn't that good? Take that home and, and, and live in that. Swim in those verses. Look them up and and just let that be your food. And, and let those kinds of things, as, as the Lord feeds you on it, um, you know, the, the Lord tells us, eat the scroll. Live in this. Let it grip your heart and say no to the tree of knowledge. It does not give you life. Amen.